0: amen and maybe seated invite uh you don't have to just don't block the person behind you that's all we ask uh there uh children uh kindergarten through third grade through that door the children in worship um and i was uh reminded this uh this week as i was, I was reading a book uh, called union with with christ and in the book i was reminded that uh um, and the song we were just singing r- reminded me of that set and he said the 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 Christ that the, the living Christ that we experience in our daily life and in our worship never matches to the living Christ that what we experience in the living Christ never reaches the reality of the living Christ and uh so shared that uh, on uh, Twitter and just said, you know, you know, what a great reminder and how I look forward to seeing him face to face. And uh, my son responded and said, hold on, dad, you still got a year and a half of college to pay for. And uh, you know, that's a great uh, sense of the reality of that's what we're living for and what we live into and taste bits and pieces of during the day, but we still hold on to that as we live into the maturing and growing into the fullness of his kingdom. And in a way, that's what we, we're, the, the big topics that we foolishly have said, oh, let's try to tackle that in a little sermon about the uh, God and sec, human sexuality, um, God and race and ethnicity, and then God and gender and men and women, uh, uh, highlighting all the things where we experience a lot of the, the brokenness and division and the controversy but we look forward to the day when all of that will be gone and there will be unity in the one who created us and we and so therefore as we look forward to that day then we seek to live into that unity today you know and and we we know there is a battle the 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 energy that it takes to live into that but we refuse to avoid it We refuse to say these aren't problems. These aren't issues. We refuse to say that. They They are issues, but we know what God has done in Christ. That He is indeed victorious. And that He has brought men and women, rich and poor, black and white, and every shade together as one under Him. And that's what we seek to live into today. So um, for this, what we figured, you know, Mother's Day would be a good day to look at what does the Bible teach about women? How do we understand um, uh, uh, gender as as it comes from the, the, the Bible and men and um, women? And one of the things that I love most about this uh, is, is the, the way that this question came to us. Because what happened was a member of the church got in a conversation with their mechanic and i found out a little more detail in uh, um, uh, after first service that i can share with you uh this uh, was a, was a woman and she was just and she has uh, um, uh, had breast cancer and her mechanic's wife um, uh, also had had breast cancer and so they were sharing and she just said you know but god is gracious um, god is loving and we're you know working through that and i trust in him and the uh, mechanic said god is gracious she said, really? Have you read the Bible? How do you deal with some of the Bible passages that seem to promote violence towards women or affirm slavery? And um, I'm like, man, good question. And then she came and said and wrote in, here's my question. You told me to go ask my friends about things, what they have questions about. Well, here's one that's a real one. Well, and one, I just celebrate that, man, she had that kind of conversation with her mechanic. And may her tribe increase. <laughs> may we have more and more of those kind of conversations that push us. And that help then to engage with others that indeed God is a God of grace. Um, so uh, before we then tackle um, a couple of these and jump into this, let's continue in prayer. Almighty God, we give you thanks again for your written word as it speaks to us of your truth and indeed your grace and mercy. Give us, May your Holy Spirit lead us to, to understand and to grow in our understanding of your written word that we might follow it um, and might be a witness to you wherever we go. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, um, so the uh the passage, one of the passages that he uh, brought up, the mechanic brought up to her is in Deuteronomy. You can follow along on the in your own Bible. I don't think we put this one on the screen. But Deuteronomy twenty-one, ten through fourteen, um, which is not your customary passage for Mother's Day. So put on your seatbelts, uh just prepare for a little bit of a shock. When you go out to war against your enemies. And the Lord your God gives them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you desire to take her to be your wife and you bring her home to your house. She shall shave her head and pare her nails and she shall take off the clothes in which she was captured and shall remain in your house and lament her father and her mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband and she shall be your wife. But if you no longer delight in her, you shall let her go where she wants. But you shall not sell her for money, nor shall you treat her as a slave, since you have humiliated her. There you go. That's the passage. Yeah, you can see uh, That's the passage that he, the mechanic brought to one of us to say, how do you understand and explain this? Well, there's a couple things here um, uh, to, to say. One is, we, it's a misunderstanding of the Bible. Bible's not a book of, of laws. I mean, there's some laws in it and there's some good ones in there. It's, it's not a book of ethics. There are a lot of stories that are unethical and the author doesn't stop and say, halt, this is unethical. Do not do this. But it's a story, it's a narrative that is primarily telling us of the journey of God with his creation to rescue us from our sin and to form a people who will live according to the ways of the kingdom. And, And it's that story of transformation. Transformation of a uh, rebellious, fallen creation. And we as Christians, we read the Bible knowing the whole story. We don't take, we, we do not take a passage and just say, oh, this passage is true for right now, and ripping it out of its historical context. We, we don't do that, and that causes a whole lot more damage than help and that's exactly what this person's doing here i'm not blaming him i mean there's a um a, it's a it's a great question for one that's not a part of of the church but we read it then to understand it in its particular context what exactly is going on here and part of what you have to know is you have to realize what's going on in the ancient near east what's going on in that place in that time that when those were written. What you need to know is that this, as an example, and many others, are changes in the direction of true equality and liberty. I know that's sort of damning with faint praise, but it is a movement of the laws and a treatment, in this case, of women to a new place given its context in the world of uh, israel in this day this is an a grand improvement now again nowhere near the day but in the whole story it's changing the trajectory of understanding um women particularly uh, One thing, just just to know a little bit of the world of the ancient Near East as it comes to laws um, protecting women, particularly protecting women who are, um, like in this case, who are captives. Who are they're they're captive when um, a nation goes into another nation and then and they win and they take the women captive. Well, the laws to protect them. I'm going to read them for you. Okay, I'm done. There, there aren't any. There, there are no laws. There's, there's nothing that protects what the, the king or what the rulers, what the ones in power could do with women that they take as slaves. When they overcome another land, they could have them fulfill whatever purposes they deemed fit. And when they were done, they could cast them aside and there were no rights or laws to protect them. The same was true, actually in the home, there were laws. Um, there, there were laws about um, uh, men and women and how they in- interacted, but they might even be worse than no laws because what they did was protect the husband and, and punish the wives. No, no, no matter what, Babylon, you know, a, a nation that did these are laws that we've found. They stipulated they, stipulate they had one of these. You know, I never do get these laws. One of these laws where you could drown uh, your wife to see if she had um, uh, an adulterous affair. If she died, then that meant she didn't. If she survived the drowning, then that meant she had had one. That's that one of the origins of that law. Uh, yep. Yeah the assyrian Assyrian also uh, granted husbands disciplinary rights over their wives as a part just of their daily living. These laws were there; they were permitted to scourge, pluck out their hair, and even go as far as uh, um, killing her um, so these um, were the laws of the day, and and what we we find again in some of these laws is a, a movement that protected women slaves of foreign lands. Uh, that um, again, uh, not anywhere near far enough, but you see the movement. The end of physical abuse of your wife in the sense of the laws of the day. And even you, you find a, a positive one um, in uh, in Numbers twenty seven, um, uh, the, the daughters of uh, Zehulafalad. Yeah, um, they were granted rights of inheritance because they were the only um, women in the family. There were no sons, and, and again, that was unheard of. Again, not a full movement up the staircase, but a step. Or two. That's what we see is, is we're breaking through the, the the patriarchy, the the male domination. We're we're breaking through the misogyny, the oppression of women through these laws. And as Dr. King regularly said, it's part of that journey, that long moral arc of the universe that bends towards justice. That's 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 how we understand those laws and the place they play in the, the movement of God communicating the, the reality of His kingdom about men and women. What we will see as we look into this, being mutual and equal in their relationship with God and one another. One that um, I um, like to, to call as e- egalitarian complementarianism. And uh, I do that uh, not to be a, a obscure, but because those are the two camps in the church um, today. And we as a church and our denomination is what we call egalitarian. We see uh, women and men as equal in form and function, different in gifts. And they're able to demonstrate and use those gifts in whatever way God has gifted them complementarians on the other hand they they hold to the same equality of value but they distinguish roles and they say there are certain roles that are appropriate for men and not for women and particularly that's in the case of um, leading preaching teaching in the church in a large setting and so there are some uh uh, sisters and brothers in Christ who would say that a woman should never stand in this place at this time and do this and should not serve on an elder board. Um, uh, we, again, as a church and a denomination, we disagree with them and say, no, we believe. Yes, there are comp- we complement one another in all different kinds of ways. And men and women are different, but they are equal in the roles they can play, in the things that they do, but, um, uh, it's according to the gifts that God has given. So that's the, a little bit of the distinction be, between us. And so now I want to go back, look at Genesis. Um, I'll start at the beginning and the best we can just give a little bit of that, that trajectory and journey through, um, the scriptures. And, uh, I mentioned last week as we look at these things, it's interesting to me that at least my gut is to just go back to the beginning and see what was the original intent? How can we, uh, understand what happens in uh, um, what, what was Genesis had to say? How do we understand what Genesis is saying about this particular issue? All right, so Genesis 1, 27, we've read a number of times. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, So we see that both equally created in the image of God. Chapter 2 and 3 goes into a little more detail about this nature of, of creation. And so jump to verse 19 of chapter 2. Now... Then um, the beginning of chapter 3 is the fall. It's the rebellion of Adam and Eve where they disobey what God tells them to do. And then um, God then um, uh, comes down and brings his judgment, the consequences of their rebellion, of their disobedience. He then speaks to them. And part of that is found in chapter 3, starting with verse 16. To the woman, he said, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, uh, what we um, uh, see here, again, is male and female created equally in the image of God. Do you they see the mutuality of their, their call and the mutuality of their rebellion? The mutuality of their creation and the equality of their rebellion together. Male and female created equally in the image of God. And we see that uh, the female woman is created not from the dust like the other animals, but but created directly from the flesh of the man. And that she's created not from his head uh, so that she could lord over, or not from his feet so that she would be under, but pulled directly from his side from his rib, as one equal to, one in mutual relationship um, with. Um, you, you see as, as well, um, she is one who's to be a helper fit for him. And the word for helper is one that's used most often of God. That God is our helper. So it's not a helper like a slave. It's, it's used most often as a helper from above. Than a helper from below, and so here is one who is a helper from the the side, mutual in the re- responsibility and relationship to God and to one another. And you know it is. Um, and then you see her created, and and you see then the, the the poetry of Adam's response. You know, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, and because she was taken out of man yeah so woman and man and you see the same in hebrew um, ish is man ishah is woman they they are together and mutual and it's interesting to me that then eve she's not named eve until after the fall so that that distinction doesn't we don't really see that until that name doesn't come to verse 20 of chapter 3. And what we see in the judgments, the consequences of their rebellion, is God's then judgment upon um, woman that you see. will be pain in childbirth. And there, there will be now division between you, uh, between women and man. And to, to Adam, there now is going to be frustration and challenge and difficulty in your relationship with the creation in terms of working the land. And so uh, it, um, we see that that division that does exist, that difference is there is part of the fall and the judgment. Now, some that would say, well, so therefore it's ordained by God, so that's why we need to continue to live in it. Okay, then that means no anesthetic at, or, or no anesthesia at childbirth. You know, no epidural. It means no roundup in your garden. No pre-emergent um, at uh, springtime uh, when your garden is—you got to just let the weeds grow. Uh, no, we we work against it, right? We we work against the weeds. We work against the the challenges that have come because of the fall. Uh, We—I've been at three childbirths, and I was very thankful each time for epidurals, and I know my wife was uh, as well, and. Uh, So we work against that division that was caused here. Then, and we see in in the uh, rest of the Old Old Testament, you know, again, big picture, you see some of these laws I've mentioned already, they're taking steps towards the the movement of equality and liberty. Um, We see particular instances, even today we saw it, in, in the Gospel Project of Deborah. Um, we see it also in Huldah in Second Kings 22, the places of leadership, places of teaching and leading for women um, and their uh, positions of influence and power. And now, um, I, so, so I think even from Genesis, what we see is the desire is that mutuality, that equality um, together in following after the ways of God. Now, if we jump ahead to the book of Acts, chapter 2, one thing I want you to note, too, that I, what I did not do in, in, in here is um, as, as I didn't talk about, there's whole, a the whole other sermon, series of sermons of how Jesus interacted with women and, and just how, again, how, how radical, countercultural he was. But I didn't go there, but you can do that, but I want to just see the, the, the picture, but that certainly fits in in a major way in the picture. What we have in in Acts chapter 2 is now Pentecost. Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen, he's ascended to the Father, and now the Holy Spirit has come upon the church, and we have this chaotic explosion of the the fire coming down on each one. And, And Peter preaches to explain it, and he pulls from the prophet Joel from the Old Testament and say, what Joel told us was happening is what now is happening. And so that's chapter two, verse 17. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. I mean, so here the Spirit comes in this grand expression of the the kingdom in just this moment. And as Joel has said, now it happens, and all the Spirit is filled with all. but not just for salvation, but to teach, to prophesy, to speak forward the Word of God to others. And it's to, to to men and to women. It's to old and to young. It's to slave and to free. And Joel wants to make that, makes that clear. Peter makes that clear. That is what is happening now as the Spirit comes upon us in the church. It is it is a call to this, this egalitarian mutuality in living out the leading forth and in living into the fullness of God's kingdom today. If being the church today seeking to live according to and strengthening and supporting and challenging one another to follow after Jesus. It takes everybody together with the Spirit filling us equally for His glory. Now, and we see in in Acts, a few chapters later, Acts 18 with Priscilla... That she is one who leads and corrects others as a woman teacher. And we even see in Romans 16, 7 with Junia, uh, that she is, Paul calls her an apostle along with others. And, and, and you know, there's only a few. It's because that, that wasn't the cultural practice of the day, as we'll see. I mean, it, it, it was, it were, there were a few that came to the fore even in that moment. But now the work of the church is now, how do we live into this? How now do we continue on this journey and continue to push as the spirit has come upon us? How do we live into this? All right. And so um, one of the passages look into is in first Timothy chapter two, starting with verse eight. And, you know, it is a, um, a, a situation that Paul is speaking to Timothy because in Ephesus, they're starting to live into this reality and it causes a mess. It, it it gets messy as you live into the reality of the kingdom in a, a broken world. And so Paul to, to Timothy chapter uh, 2, first Timothy, starting with verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Okay? Now, let's just, just take a look at that for a moment. Because um, we all read this and we do a little bit of interpretive work. Right? we do an interpretive work here because I just prayed, many of you prayed, did you lift your hands? You know, you know, it says right here, men are supposed to lift holy hands when they pray. But we understand that. We understand what Paul said. saying. He's not saying that men have to raise their hands when they pray in every place and every time. And we certainly say the same thing. We read that about women. We didn't check to see that people had braided hair. Or if you have gold on. Or if you have pearls. Or we didn't check, you know, the price tag of the clothing you're wearing. Right? But obviously those were issues in Ephesus in that day. What we, we, get, we did the interpretive work real quickly as we read. Don't even think about it. We say, well, no, what Paul is talking about is our heart. And, and, and it needs to be reflected in what we wear. Needs to be reflected in, in what we promote on the outside so that it's, it's not so controversial or that it's not so troubling or, or challenging or inappropriate. But what we're really about, what does profess godliness in good works? That, we, we read that and we understand. We, we don't take it literally, but we do take it literarily. So then, uh, verse 11. Let's do it with the rest of the passage then. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. All stop right there just for a moment. That's radical crazies talk in the first century. You didn't teach women. Women didn't learn. I mean, there are all kinds of of, uh, quotes from rabbis of the day that said, no, do not let women into the classroom. They are not there to learn. And Paul is saying now in the church, in this new age, the spirit has come upon us. It is now time. No, we want women to learn. And he goes on. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. All right. Now some you would would read this and say okay there you go that's why a woman should all should not be allowed to s- stand in this place at this time because they're more easily deceived you know and, and and it seems to be part of the creative order right relates back to adam and eve say because eve was the one that was deceived and and paul or, or adam um, wasn't um and uh so it, but it's like, really, what? What exactly is he getting at here? Because last I checked, Adam also was present and also disobeyed God. And to tell you, that's really not what Paul's saying. Everywhere else, Paul mentions the sin in Genesis two; he calls it Adam's sin. So it's, there's something else going on here. And the fact that if women therefore are more easily deceived, doesn't it make sense? If that was the case, they should teach men and not children. I mean, the last thing we should do if someone's more easily deceived, we don't want them teaching children. They should be teaching men so that then they can be corrected if they get they're more easily deceived. We should have men teaching children if that's the case. So what? well, Well, what is it that he's? talking about again i think what he's talking about is the situation in ephesus at that time the the freedom that that exploded at pentecost in the holy spirit is now being experienced and and you see with in good ways priscilla and junia but if you continue to read in timothy and second timothy and what's going on in ephesus there are false teachers that are running amok and there are some of the women who have not, haven't had the privilege of being taught in any way. And now they have the opportunity. And so they're running to the false teachers. And they're bringing the false teachers teaching back to the church. And so Paul is saying in this moment, hey, in this moment, at this time, stop. We need to put an end to this. And again, if you read on in Timothy, you see this now. And so what we need to do, you need to bring the women. They need to come in. They need to learn, listen and learn and grow so that then they can be teachers. But they need to first be taught before they can be teachers. And what... How does that relate to Adam and Eve? Well, it's exactly the same way. Adam was around. God told Adam. If you go back and look in Genesis 1 and 2, God, Adam was there when God brought down the, the law to him. Told him, this is what, don't eat from, eat from all these trees, but not this one. Eve wasn't there. So then Adam needed to teach Eve so that when the serpent came, she wouldn't be deceived. So that then she could obey. So his point here is now we need to teach the women as they come into positions of leadership. Just like with Priscilla and Junia. And why I can stand here today and say there are women who are gifted to teach and to preach more so than I am. And they need to be in these positions And in this time, in these kind of places, so that their gifts can be used to the fullness of their capacity for the full benefit of the church. So it is a desire of the church in in full mutuality according to the different gifts to be lived out for the glory of God and to help us obey Jesus and live into the fullness of his kingdom. Relating in the church and also, last passage, in the home. I don't know what it says about me, uh, but it's some some illness that when we have these kind of um, passages, or these kind of challenges, I just go for the hardest passages and, uh, and say, let's just try to talk about those. So Ephesians five verses twenty one through thirty that then talks about this principle in the home, I believe. Um, Another one, this won't read here, but if you have opportunity to read 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5, that is the greatest passage of egalitarianism, of the the mutuality of husband and wife, particularly in the marriage, um, in the intimate marriage relationship. But uh, um, just for time's sake and other reasons, won't read that here. But um, 5.21, starting there. And if you'll notice, if you're in the View Bible... Um, at 521 is the end of the paragraph. Um, and then you have a subheading, which we add in our Bibles, which I appreciate, but they're not in the original text. And then it jumps into verse 22. But I'll tell you why I think they are they are connected. Um, so starting with verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Right, I'll just stop there. Just tell you why. One is the the word "submit" is not in the Greek in verse twenty-two. You know, the New Testament was written in Greek. It, it's not there. Um, what you have in verse twenty-one—that's where the verb "submit" is, and it's a imperative. And it's a command. You know, submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Now that's if you were to read a little more literally. That's what it would sound like. So that's why I connect them. I mean, you've got to pull the verb down into make this a sensible sentence in verse 22. Um, and what that does is it puts this under the rubric of we submit to one another under, under Christ. As we submit to Christ, we submit to one another. So, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, having read that, that's no, no, none of that. It would really be um, unusual to hear in that day. Then the next one: "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church." Oh, wait a minute, that's not what would normally be said there. should be said, "Husbands lead your wives as Christ lead, led the church and gave himself up for her." doesn't say that. They lead such love them husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church gave himself up for her I believe this is a call to mutual submission. That the woman submits to her husband and the husband submits to his wife. And that Paul is creatively using this this language to say just that. It's under the rubric of submitting to one another under Christ. And now in this example, wives, you do it for your husbands. Husbands, you do it for your wives. You, you fight to to work to outdo one another in loving and serving and caring for each other. That is the way of Jesus in the church and in the family. We outdo one another in service, love, and mutual edification, supporting, encouraging, pushing, helping one another to follow Jesus because he is life. And our battle is against the devil. It's against the ways of the world and the sin within us, not one another. Matter of fact, we're on the same team. As men and women differently gifted in all kinds of ways. And we find so many ways to divide and fight the battle. the one Except for the one battle that Jesus has given us together. Which is to learn to obey Jesus together. And we can't do that certainly if we're divided against one another. Regardless of what reason. And we certainly can't do it unless we're united in him. Because the battle is so grand. So in the home or in the church, different abilities and gifts come together in full mutuality under Jesus. And I believe that's the mystery. People you know, that argue with me on the other side. Well, when you push comes to shove. You know, you know, and, and the way I understand it, then it's the man's responsibility to make the decision. You have two answers to that. Okay, well, then I make the decision that we're not doing anything until we agree together. Okay? If they want me to follow that way. But the other says, you know, that that mystery to me is to say, no, we're going to stick this out together until we come to a place of lovingly coming to a decision together. Not outlasting one another in fights, but coming to a place of humility and submission and the ways of the kingdom, the ways of Jesus with each other whether it's in the church or in the family. So having said that, certainly we we see as we step back from that, that that's, that's the positive journey that we're on together. Then there is no place for abuse of women in our world. There is no place for sef- sex trafficking in our world or in our state or in our community. Have you've been following the, journey, the 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 stories in the newspaper about Portsmouth, Ohio... Being a hotbed for sex trafficking. It's not something that's on the other side of the world. It's something that's just across the street. And and it shows just how fallen our world is. And for us, as a particular church, and our denomination, it's the full participation of women in the leadership of the church. Not in competition, but in mutual benefit and affirmation. What, what we celebrate... And we know that it's only Jesus who can empower us to overcome our own rebellion and selfishness, our own division, and our own sin. It's only Him that can bring that unity. It's only Him that can bring those kind of mutual submissive relationships and that kind of humility. And and one thing uh, for me that what I hate most, one of the things I hate most about my own formation in... uh, our particular society is the preponderance of using sex to sell almost everything. And uh, uh, Mike Jorgensen, assistant pastor here, he said, you know, the one thing we don't use sex to sell is marriage. <laughs> and actually, if you go back to that First Corinthians 7 passage, that's what Paul's doing. But we use it for everything else. And what does that form in me but a knee-jerk reaction to judge a woman by her appearance instead of her character or her faith or her capacities or her intelligence? So on this quest, how do we best serve uh, one another but to fight the ways of the world and to follow after the beauty of God's kingdom and the power of His Holy Spirit where we see the beauty in one another in whatever gender and recognize each person's gifts and celebrate them together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Whether it's the family or whether it's the church, the workplace, or the world. May His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Pentecost, make that that freedom, that liberty, that equality real. For God's glory as a witness to the world and for the support of one another. Amen.